Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. We're back with Table Talk again, this time our favorite answers to the seven questions that we end every show with. And this time we asked our listeners to give us their answers to the seven questions. And they're really terrific answers. So here we have Graham Chet, our producer, our associate producer, Sarah Chase, and our tech guru, Allison Costin. And we're going to, for the first time, you'll reveal to me and I'll reveal to you what our favorite answers from our listeners are. Our first question always is, what do you wish you really understood? Graham, what did, what did you like from our listeners? Well, I liked the Krebs cycle. The <laughs> <laughs> what made you like that? Well, because what, I... What, what's to tell, tell what the person said. Okay, she said the Krebs cycle. JK, which uh, Sarah has just told me means just joking. No, just kidding. It's useless. Real answer, acid-based disorders and resul- renal physiology. That's pretty deep. Anyway, back to the Krebs cycle. I remember when I first encountered it that you could actually find out all these things about how a cell worked all of the chemicals inside it, just by, you know, doing good old-fashioned chemistry. I was just really blown away by it. And it made me go into biochemistry. I went out of biochemistry after a while, but at least I went into it. So it turns out All because be, of the Krebs cycle. Right. It turns out the Krebs cycle is your answer, too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Sarah, what was your favorite for that? Oh, I had two that I really liked. One is a very practical one, and it's from Gabriel keegan Uhl. And she says, I wish I understood economics. Math comes pretty easy to me, but money makes my brain hurt. And I like that one because my husband's a financial reporter. And uh, I got to say, I don't understand economics either. He keeps trying. Well, you know what's funny about that? It reminds me of my friend and our wonderful guest on the show, Stephen Strogatz. Oh, we got to get to that because there's a math answer, too, to one of these Well, but what's wonderful about Steve and this uh, answer you just read is that although Steve is a very highly respected mathematician. He says he has trouble adding anything up that has dollar signs in it. (laughs) So that's interesting. It gets too practical. He's not interested. See, the minute you add dollar signs to something, that's when I get math. I'm like, okay, here we go. (laughs) 
So uh, you had another one? I had another one. This one um, is from Lily Pye. And uh, this is this is just sort of beautifully written. All of all of the answers to, to that uh, Lily submitted were, were wonderful gorgeous. answers from people. Yeah, they? yeah. And this one was, uh, she writes: "I wish I understood the gap humans imagine separates us from all else in existence. It's something that needs kind and gentle mending." I found that nature was a common answer, mm-hmm. and trying to understand people's hatred that was another common answer. Very, very much related to what we're always trying to figure out is how people work and how they can work better together. Allison, did you did you have one that you liked from that first question? I actually liked the answer, what makes things funny? Why do I laugh at this, but someone else didn't? Why did I laugh at this thing at all? I thought that was an interesting response. Well, as someone who's in the business occasionally of making people laugh, I have the same question. Exactly. I was thinking you might actually have an answer to that question. What's that? What makes things funny? Do you know what makes things funny? You know, there have been philosophers and psychiatrists, including Sigmund Freud, who tried to figure out what makes things funny. Henri Bergson, the French philosopher. Everybody, in my opinion, when you get down to the practice the actual practical implications of getting people to laugh or allowing them to laugh, the theory usually breaks down. It's, it's, it's very hard to know. Do you have an opinion about what makes people laugh? No, but I wondered if you did, as you've, uh, y- your father was a stage performer, right? In, yeah, yeah. He uh, was, in fact, he was in the business of helping people be funny because when he started out, he was a... Uh, uh, he was a straight man in burlesque, and the straight man really helps the comedian be funny because he sets the context. It's like the front part of a joke. The joke, the punchline's not funny, at least not by itself. It's the setup that makes it funny, and, and so that's an important element. I wondered if uh, you had any insight into how humor or what things are funny has changed since his day when he well, was on the stage. things have really changed because I remember... When my father, when my father wrote a sketch for burlesque with his partner, who was a comic, they took a pig with them everywhere they went. This little pig, because the, the sketch began with the comic saying to my father, "Get out of here and don't come back till you bring home the bacon." <laughs> and at the end of the sketch, my father would come in carrying the pig, saying, "Well, I brought home the bacon." <laughs> I swear to God, that was a sketch that got people to laugh. But they went everywhere with that pig. They had to carry the pig on the road with them? In the backseat of the car, which meant they left me with my elderly aunts in <laughs> Wilmington, Delaware, because there was no room in the car for me. I was about four. Well, that shows what they their Yeah, what their priorities that's were. Right. What know, their priorities were, the pig over the kid. Well, I'm trying to find my favorite one from the first question. And I see I circled Sarah's favorite, too, about math. Mm-hmm. So We'll get back to that one. It yeah, the second question, what do you wish people understood about you? What Did you get any ones that really struck you about that? One of them that I circled was the person answered that I'm filled with insecurities, but was taught how to be confident person by my parents. So these two things battle one another in my head during different situations. So much fun. And along the same lines, that I'm not really weird. My anxiety, social anxiety, makes me act strangely around others and affects my ability to think clearly when navigating social situations. I can relate to that one. You know, it it, it struck me that there were, 
maybe five or six like that. I they wish were. people understood that I'm not mad at them right. or I'm not uninterested in what they have to say. I, f- I found this one really relatable because I this is something I try to do all the time and, and it's hard to do. But this person wrote that the world is fast-paced, slowing down, stopping to appreciate the little things or taking time to process things is not a bad thing. And, you know, a lot of people wrote about um, to not judge themselves so harshly. We, we heard about that quite a bit. Here's a complicated one that uh, I can also relate to. That I say what I mean, I mean what I say, I'm kind of like Mr. Spock, half logical, half social, also known as half Asperger's, half neurotypical. And I also have ADHD. <laughs> so I forget their names or other important things, or if I talk too much or zone out while they're talking, it's not personal, it wasn't on purpose, it's a real struggle for me, and I'm sorry it happened. And it's heartfelt. It is. Re- you know, and you just reminded me by reading that one, that I realized that I have an answer to what I wish people understood about me. Ah, finally. I wish people knew that I have face blindness, prosopagnosia. It's a little <laughs> defect in my brain. You just wanted they, to show off that word. Oh, well, I got a better one to show off. <laughs> Listen to this. My fusiform gyrus is all screwed up. And, and if people knew that, then they would realize that even though I had dinner with them for three hours last night, I don't recognize them the next day on the street. That's just an excuse. <laughs> okay, so somebody Who wears- are you anyway? <laughs> All right, I did, I did find my absolute favorite one to what do you wish people understood about you, though. I think this is the best answer ever. The, uh, this person writes, let's not spoil the mystery. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> This one was interesting. What do you wish people understood about you that he said that being a scientist, that being a scientist isn't so much about being smart or clever, that it's mostly just hard work. It's kind of a wish to be seen as a regular human, which scientists are, but they they do tend to be smarter than me. (laughs) And I would challenge the notion that the work is really that hard by comparison with, say, coal mining. I don't know. I, I, what you, Sarah looks thoughtful. Well, I, w- I was thinking back to, uh, I've had a number of jobs where I, I'm outdoors in the middle of winter and when it's, you know, 10 below zero. And every time I'm in the office and I think I'm doing hard mental work, I think, oh, at least I'm not out in 10 degree weather right <laughs> yeah. now. So well, I'll that's just true. keep punching these keys. It's okay. <laughs> I knew somebody who was um, in the public relations business and his father had worked hard in the garment industry. And whenever things got tough in the public relations business, he'd say, he'd remember his father and he'd say, well, it's not as, not as bad as cutting velvet. <laughs> Apparently, you have to cut velvet with these really painful to hold scissors, and you cut many layers at once, and it's like cutting a piece of wood. Let's move on. What yeah, was the next what's one? The, what, is that the strangest question? Yes. What is the strangest question anyone ever asked you? This, I like this answer. I can't think of anything, but I'm guessing it will come from one of my kids at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely bound to. I, I like... Um, some, the strangest question this one person was asked are you a real teacher you just babysit right <laughs> is that a comment on all teachers or what <laughs> uh, my favorite was how long does it take to drive to Australia from Seattle <laughs> I, thought, 
That's pretty. I think we got some of the weirdest answers when we asked them what the strangest could. People have been asked really strange questions. Yes, yes. Here's an odd one. A man at the grocery store asked if I had worked at some kind of company with him in the 70s. I'm 21. (laughs) (laughs) The guy is not a good mathematician. (laughs) Okay, here's one that's going to segue into the next question, too. This person, the uh, the question to what is the strangest question anyone ever asked you? This person writes, how do you feel about sex? And she adds, it was a bad pickup line. And my answer was what, like what, compared to baseball or football? <laughs> and then to the answer to how do you stop a compulsive talker? She says, ask this, how do you feel about sex? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that. And I'm going to use that tip if I'm ever being picked up in the bar. <laughs> Uh, This really was a weird exchange. In answer to the question, what's the strangest question anyone ever asked you? This person wrote, what, are you a lesbian or something? A doctor asked me that when I said I wasn't sexually active. I've been asked other strange questions, but that has to top them by far. Definitely rude, inappropriate, and also incorrect and ignorant. And also, how does a doctor think that lesbians don't have sex? (laughs) Well, I like this one. I was 17 and in the ER for an ankle injury x-ray. Nurse asked me if I was pregnant. I was so flummoxed that I couldn't answer and finally yelled, No! I just hurt my ankle playing mini-golf! I had no idea that that was a question they asked any female before going forward with an x-ray. Did you know that? Uh, I actually had my uh, my ankles x-rayed not too long ago, and I was asked, you are you pregnant? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, well, like, down there? No. <laughs> so this was interesting. What's the strangest question anyone's ever asked you? The answer is, I work at a historical living history museum, and I wear a costume. And quite often, I get questions like, do you sleep here? No, I go home. I like electricity and I like a warm bed. And I also like to have a bath with running water. I do not live at the historical museum. Well, I think they should, if they're going to be really, you know, authentic. (laughs) In in England, they have this thing for TV shows where they put people in, you know, 18th century farmhouses and make them live there for six months. They do live there? (laughs) Yeah, they have to do the whole thing. Yeah, 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 they have to do the whole thing. Well, that's the strangest thing I ever heard. (laughs) There's there's a really cute one, too, which is uh, the the person writes, this is weird, but my son asked me when he was small, where is yonder? That's lovely. That's a lovely one. That's really nice. I can just imagine the the, the child asking the mother that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a good one. The strangest question I've been asked is, What did you do to your dog's tail? (laughs) She was born that way. Any harm you can imagine originates in your own head and says more about the way you you think than I do. (laughs) Would you say that to a person about their dog's tail? No, no. 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 I think dogs need tails, though. Yeah. Well, that dog was born that way. I know, well. So somebody must have bred the dog not to to have have a a tail. 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 Somebody did something. I think you could ask what happened to your dog's tail, but to imply that you did something to your dog's tail is a little bit rude. Yeah, that's Mm. probably true. But they do. I mean, when I was a kid, we had a cocker spaniel. And the tradition there is that you dock the tail for some bizarre reason. I've never figured out why. So our cocker so spaniel. So some people do things yeah, to their dogs. That's right. Tail. They do cut their tails off. Yeah, I've heard that when term. When their puppies are the tail. Here's he, this is this is on a lighter note. 
strangest question anyone ever asked you. The weirdest question I can recall being asked is, do you have Asian ancestry? I'm Irish, English, and Norwegian descent. I don't know how I could look Asian. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that... Maybe um, they have face bright blindness. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, or, or some areas of... of very northern parts of Scandinavia, where oh, they're in the, oh, the, the Sami, yes. the Sami people, right, the also Sami. known as yeah. Laplands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe they, nice. they, you start to look a little bit Caucasian in that area. Yeah, now if this person is listening, he's going to get really mad at us. <laughs> I, I'm not related to the Sami people either. <laughs> so what next? What's the next question? Uh, how, how, how do you, you stop a compulsive talker? Got a lot of really interesting techniques for stopping compulsive talkers. What, what, what did you folks come up with? I love the, the first one here that we had, which is ask them a pointed question or, failing all else, bow my head and ask for a moment of silence. <laughs> this is, asking a question is, came in this answer that I, re- <laughs> I, I really like. Is how do you stop a compulsive talker? You say... Asking for a friend. Have you ever sprained your jaw? <laughs> so you, you diffuse it by saying asking, asking for, a for a friend, friend right? right. Yeah, they, yeah. they won't think you're being rude. Exactly. <laughs> I like this one. It's weird, but I pretend I'm starving and start talking about what I'd like to eat. <laughs> Derails tangents and gives me an out if need be. <laughs> that reminds me of the episode we did with Rachel Ray when uh, her, fav- her answer to that was um, feed them. <laughs> yeah, feed them and, and it'll stop them from talking. Or they might choke and either way, they'll be quiet. <laughs> Here's another kind of food-related one. Walk away. They might not stop talking, but at least you won't be able to hear them anymore. Or offer them food. <laughs> right. I usually say I have to go to the bathroom and then I run out of the That's room. That's the easy one. Right. Right. But I, I always loved uh, Letty Pogrebin's answer, though, which was, you have a little bit of, like, broccoli in your teeth or something and then they run to the bathroom and go look and, and sarah silverman tops it all with uh i have diarrhea and she, and she just disappears and then i suppose the compulsive talker is glad to see her go <laughs> thank god yeah. one person said i think the best one of the best ways to stop a compulsive talker is to completely shut down and that could be by not making eye contact not moving so that the other person believes that you're not listening anymore and possibly not interested to talk to you either because you might seem like such a boring person. <laughs> In all my experiences, a lot of people also said to look at your watch. I don't think that works. I no, think I don't it, think it, it does either. It's just, it, it seems to get them to talk more. So seriously, how do, how do we all handle compulsive talkers? I let them, I, you know, as a professional interviewer yeah. in my day, I just let them go on. You know, because you never know where it's going to go. It goes some, up sometimes into some but what interesting about if they're telling unexpected you, directions. What if they're telling you about their grandmother's toe fungus and won't stop? Well, you never know. You know, you never know where that might go. If, if they <laughs> let you go somewhere, that's the only problem. Some, I mean, I'm curious about everybody's grandmother's toe fungus, to be sure. But if I have a real question about it, they sometimes don't even let me in to ask a question. Oh, well, that's, that's, that, but they see, that's not stopping them. It's encouraging them to go on. Right? To ask if a you question. ask a question. Right. I want the answer, though. So, well, what was the next question? Where are we? Is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy? A lot of people came up with similar answers to that. Yeah. 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 And I think we should use this as an opportunity for you, Alan, 
to talk about what you mean by empathy, because some of these, yeah, some think, of these things I think were I mi- misstated the question because it leaves the door open for people to answer with definitions of empathy that that I didn't really mean in the question, because some people feel that empathy means sympathy for the other person or uh, compassion, that kind of thing, or agreeing with them. And all I mean by empathy, and there are many definitions and different people have different definitions, and the one that I uh, cling to is just getting some kind of an estimate of what the other person is feeling, what their perspective is, what their point of view is, whether or not you agree with it. I mean, one person answered that they have no empathy for serial killers, and yet they saw, I think, a documentary about Ted Bundy and got fascinated with the idea that he seemed like an ordinary person on the outside, but inside he had this compulsion to kill people. And the person who answered our question said, I was curious about that, interested to know what went on in the person's head. And I, and that's all I meant by, by empathy. So that person was, I, th- I thought, sort of answering the question. But people who generally do bad things certainly don't deserve our compassion always. No, but I think what you're going to, you can still maybe feel the other sort of empathy. You can maybe understand a little bit about what went on in their lives that turned them in that direction. Well, I want to add to both of what you've just said, because you each of you brought in the word understanding, and somebody did write, uh, nope, for me, empathy is equal to understanding. So it's not something I feel. I can get to a point of understanding anyone. Agreeing with them is a different story. Mm-hmm. And Alan, I've got a note to ask you to respond to that one because yeah, I, well, that that was it's intriguing. My, that yeah. was. I hope I sort of responded to it already. That uh, it is trying to understand where the other person is coming from. When we talk to Christian Picciolini, who w- works with hundreds of people who are in the neo-Nazi movement and tries to help them get out of the movement. He starts with empathy. They do dreadful things, but instead of pointing out to them how dreadful their behavior is, he gives them a sense of dignity and his, certainly not agreeing with it. In his case, it's uh, made a little easier in that he used to be that way himself. Right. So he has a connection. He knows what it's like to feel that because he felt it. Uh, once when he was young. Right. And so right. He, it makes it easier for him to make a connection and feel that empathic bond with those people and then try and lead them in the same direction that he went. Well, your your point too, that empathy is a tool, it's a communication tool that we can use is also very important because it's not necessarily a feeling or or an emotion that we have towards somebody, but it's a it's a tool that we use to help understand somebody. Yeah, I'm most interested in empathy as a tool for communication so that I don't talk to what I think you're saying Mm -hmm. or where I think you're coming from. I talk to as good an estimate of it as I can get from your body language and from the tone of voice. So how how do you get that estimate? How do you judge? I'm, I'm reading you now, you know, and I'm listening to your tone of voice. If you had said, how do you get to this? You know, that'd be a, you'd be meaning something else. You'd be, you'd be having a different response to what I'm trying to get at here. Right. So I'd have to answer that. Here's if, one that I must say I agree with. 
is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy? The people in courtroom photos crying after they've been sentenced for committing hate crimes. Yeah, I don't know. At that at that point, I don't know what the purpose of having any kind of empathy for them is because they've, they've committed the crime, they're going to jail. Yeah. Except it is interesting. It really is interesting, isn't it? How a person could do something really bad and then cry because they're getting punished. Yeah. What What's going on in that head? Yeah. What about the people that have just been arrested for finagling their kids into college? Do you feel empathy for them? You know, the, the, me no, 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 you no. don't. No. 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 What do you mean by not feeling empathy? Well, I guess I can feel empathy for them in that I could, I could put myself in that perspective, in right. that place of of somebody who would do that. I, th- I think sometimes you attach to empathy the idea that you are somehow emotionally engaged with it. And for them, I, I feel no... You don't want to be emotionally no, engaged. No, no, you want to you extrapolate yourself from that as much as possible. But I think that goes to the heart of what you were talking about, the difference yeah. between empathy and sympathy. Yeah, I can feel a little certain empathy for those people because I certainly went through the getting the kids into college process. I never did anything like that, but it is highly stressful. And you look for ways that you can sort of work with the system, not necessarily gain the system. But on the other hand... It's a hateful thing that they did. So I can I can feel empathy for what they did and why they did it, but I really just think it was disgusting. Right, I think that's <laughs> at the heart of this notion of empathy. There are other notions of empathy that wouldn't apply here, I think. But I, 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 when this story came out, I loved the response of one person who said, what's the effect of this on the children who yeah. never knew until they saw it in the press that they had been finagled into college? The some kid, of them did know. But, yeah, but some of them, them didn't. didn't. And are yeah, they thinking yeah, yeah. now, how stupid am I? Am I larceny stupid? Am I am I bribery stupid? Is that how stupid I am? I know. It's just devastated their lives. Absolutely devastated their lives, I would think. So how about, is, are we up to the last question? No. No, no, oh, no. No, no, no. no, 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 no. We, right. have, we have the bad the, news one. The, the penultimate question. There you are, showing off your long words again. <laughs> I work so hard to speak plain English all the time. I, I like to exercise my vocabulary just so I don't forget it. Just ask him to spell it now, too. It's <laughs> all right. So what is it? It's, um, it, it? How do you like to deliver bad news in person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? I love it that a couple of people just went straight for carrier pigeon. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be hard. Do you know what involves getting a message into a carrier pigeon? You well, you don't put it in the carrier pigeon. <laughs> no, but you have to put it in this little tiny... getting it out would be hard. <laughs> you have to put it in this little tiny thing on their leg. It means you have to write it very, very... It would take forever. You have so to write, write it small. very, very small, put it in yeah. this little container. I mean, just pick up the phone, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if the pigeon doesn't like to give bad news? Yes, I, mean, I know. It's really tough on the pigeon. Yeah, it's carrying this burden with them its whole time. <laughs> And how do carrier pigeons deliver bad news, Alan? Email. <laughs> Droppings. <laughs> yeah, right. I've had some bad news from pigeons in my day. Mostly everybody confirmed the idea, I think, that the best way is in person. Oh, there was a great one. Yes. This person answered, over gin and tonic. <laughs> I like that one. Actually, over G and T. Over G and T, oh, sorry. Is that, is that the way you say it in Britain? Yeah. Yes. Well, you had I, to ask me what JK meant, so I figured if I said G and T, I... Oh, I, that was in the answer, G and T? Yeah, yeah G and yeah, T. G and T. See, and that's why I didn't know what they meant. Yeah, that's what they meant. 
And I must say, I heartily applaud that one. I was wondering whether, you know, when we asked, if we're going to continue to ask that question in the show, whether we need to be a bit more explicit that you're not allowed to do it in person. Because otherwise it's just the default option all the time. They 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 tend they know what the right answer exactly, should be exactly yeah yeah and mo- many people will say it's hard but that's the that's best that's what you have to do, do right yeah, yeah yeah and also it's not too clear what the bad news is is it the bad news that you're going to die or is you the didn't bad get news the job that Aunt Sarah died <laughs> or you didn't get the job what's right. what's the bad news right yeah I think we sort of implied that it was really bad news. That's what most people I, interpreted it yeah, that way. I think one thing we've learned from this is we have to be a little more specific about these questions. I, I like the idea of the questions, though, I lo- I, because at the end of a year of asking these questions, we've got some very interesting and va- varied answers, don't you think? Well, yeah, and I, I like that sometimes people fill in in their own heads the answers. You know, they're, they're implying things. So it's interesting because each person has they're they're coming at this with such a different background and what they have in their own mind like what is bad news varies from person to person to person so that's how you get this sort of diversity of answers because right. of those backgrounds yeah and that i like that so that leads us to our final one what if anything would make you end a friendship again there was definitely a trend there it yeah. was uh for instance this one it would have to be a monstrous betrayal of trust. It's lying, betraying. That seemed to be a very common theme. And another common theme was a, a lack of mutual investment. So if it was a one-sided friendship, that would... Right, I have it. to carry all the weight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The only actions that have ended friendships for me have been lying and narcissism. Yeah, it was just that, that's not you personally speaking. That's the, an answer given by a listener. <laughs> yeah, oh, thank you for clarifying. Yeah. That. Yes. <laughs> because although I could agree with you, as a narcissist, I resent that. <laughs> well, these have been wonderful answers from our our listeners, and I love it that they opened up to us about this. It it makes it more like a conversation. It's very nice. I think we ought to do more conversations with our. With our listeners, because it's, I love it as a two-way street. That's and here, here we are, in a way, constantly talking about how communication is a two-way street, but we're talking into microphones and we're not hearing back enough from the people. Yeah, we, we love the Twitter conversations and, and the Facebook conversations that are occurring behind the scenes. So um, we do have an email address, too. If anyone ever wants to write to us, you can write to Clear and Vivid. Um, the address is podcast at aldacommunication.com. You so know, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm going to yeah. write us an email. I'm going to sit right down and write <laughs> myself a letter. A podcast at? Podcast at aldacommunication.com. And it's communication without the S. Right. And one ahead. of the things they could write about is if they have suggestions for questions. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've used these seven questions well. Yep. Um, they've done a good job, but maybe we can come up with some others and maybe our listeners can come up with some others too. Along, They have to be along the lines of the podcast theme, which is, you know, communication. 
So yeah. communication relating to other people. Uh, we, we're happy to take guest suggestions, too. So we've had a lot of people. We have a lot of people who write to us with guest suggestions. Yeah, that's and, great. Um, often, though, we, if you hear back from us, if, we're, if we don't get back to you right away, it's because we'll have a season that's already booked out. But we do read all of the emails. Um, we go through them, and we love to investigate all the, the great people who you suggest to us. Um, and we've gotten a lot of book suggestions, too, of people who are up-and-coming authors who uh, haven't kind of made the mainstream yet, but uh, who are writing some really compelling stuff. And uh, it's great to hear from our listeners all about what they're hearing and what they're interested in. We're, we're like one big family here. So we really like to make sure that everybody's contacting us and that we, we know what you're enjoying and what you like to listen to. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being part of this virtual family, as Sarah mentioned. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks all. This was fun around the table. Nice. Can we have wine next time? Come on. <laughs> you know we should have had it. Ne- next time. Yeah, we should have. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. We heard that last time, right? <laughs> I forgot. Why didn't you remind me? I forgot. <laughs> this has been Clear and Vivid. At least I hope so. This episode was produced by Graham Shedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula, our tech guru is Allison Costin, and our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.